is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 514, recorded on Tuesday, the 23rd of February, 2021. And as that intro played, Jason, of course, it says this is a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead, Mm -hmm. which it hasn't really been for some time because, you know, The Walking Dead hasn't been on much lately. But as we speak this, as we record this, We are one week away from the return, actually less than a week away, technically, from the return of the show, but one week away from our first recap of season 10, episode 17 of The Walking Dead, which premieres this coming Sunday on AMC. Holy moly, I'm all a tingle. You are all a tingle. Now, before we get into uh, our, you know, wrap up of the stand, which we are going to do this week, I wanted to remind everyone that... That episode of The Walking Dead is already available on AMC+. Plus. So if you are a subscriber to that service, you've probably already watched it and you probably already know that it's there. Um, But I figured you live in the future. It's a grand time to be alive. It really is. I figured I'd mention it, though, just in case there are folks out there who have been on the fence about AMC+, or maybe they're thinking about subscribing. If you are and you're a Walking Dead fan, now is the time. So uh, get on that. You can watch it early, but the rest of the world gets to see it coming up this Sunday on AMC, and then we'll be covering it next Tuesday on our regular night of uh, recapping Walking Dead. So that's going to be awesome. It's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to having the show back. I may have mentioned this, but I'm all a tingle. <laughs> you got your Jason tingle going, don't you? I got my, I got my tingle. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to be... Uh, uh, well, I don't know what it's going to be, but I think it's going to be good. Let's hope. Let's hope. We got to wait till Sunday to find out. One other thing I want to do before we get into our coverage of the stand is a couple of quick emails here from listeners. The first one comes from Trisha in Boston, and Trisha says, Happy birthday to us, February babies, 2-26-1972. And she sent in a picture of a cake. So, of course, she's referring to her birthday. And yeah. yours, Jason, which is up coming up in two days, three days. It is, well, a few days, Friday, uh, but my wife's birthday was yesterday. Your wife's birthday is tomorrow. Well. My mom's birthday was last week. We get, there's all kinds of birthdays around here. All right. Well, listen, we also got an email from Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey, longtime listener, and Matt writes, Dear Maple Leafs, first, happy birthday to Jenny. Sorry, excuse me. I, I should, I, I got to get this right. He says, first, happy belated birthday to Jenny. And happy early birthdays to Christina and Jason. That's nice. So, Matt, I mean, the guy's obviously paying attention because he nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. We are on the day in between your wife's birthday and my wife's birthday, and we're a few days ahead of yours. So, uh, well done, Matt. And a month after yours. And a month after mine. That's right. We're all around here somewhere. Yeah, it is weird, but thank you. So much for everyone for those birthday wishes on behalf of Jason, Jenny, and Christina, everybody who's involved in uh, this podcast in one way or another. <laughs> I tried to find that movie. There's that movie that I mentioned last time uh, where they were talking about birthdays in a bar and the bartender right. said, when's your birthday? And he said, February 26th. She said, my birthday is February 26th. 
And I said, my birthday is February 26th. I tried to find the movie. I can't remember what movie that is. I can't remember the actors that were in it. I know the guy was wearing a cowboy hat. I'm pretty sure the bartender was a woman that was in this other movie where she was holed up someplace on a farm where the main character came in and it was his dad's farm. His dad had passed away and there was a plane that he used. If anybody remembers either one of those movies, let me know because I can't find it. I went through my movie library film by film going, is that it? No. Is that it? No. Is that it? No. And I, I got nothing. I got nothing. Chris, Crazy. what movies am I thinking of here? I, I don't know, man. I, I have no idea what film you watched that had a bar patron and bartender with the same birthday as you. I don't know. So, I mean, might as well crowdsource this because the last time I needed to crowd, crowdsource something, I had a book where, I, you know, there was a, a psychic uh, crab and a talking weasel and a guy that had uh, everybody forgot him. And then somebody wrote in and said, Mute by Piers Anthony, I think the author was, uh, found the book. Well, there you go. I mean, uh, crowd crowdsourcing, it works. So everybody, if if you can figure out what this movie is for Jason, send it in. Send an email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Please and thank you. All right. Well, we are going to cover the final three episodes of The Stand uh, on this episode. And I think it's maybe the first time we've ever covered three episodes of a show all at once. So without further delay, Jason, because we might be here all night, I think we should get into it right now. Sure. All right. So it's episode seven, eight, and nine to cap off the Season one of The Stand, although there won't be a season two, I don't think, because that would be weird. Season or episode seven is called The Walk. Uh, episode eight is called The Stand and episode nine is called The Circle Closes. Now, I just want to say off the top, as everyone knows, if you've been listening, I've really, really, for the most part, enjoyed this season of TV for The Stand. Mm. and. I am happy to report that for the most part, I think they nailed it. I think they succeeded in telling a great story, and I really enjoyed these final three episodes. Now, to break that down a little bit, I would say episode seven I thought was really great. Episode eight was slightly weaker, or maybe about 50% of that episode was a little bit troublesome for me. And episode nine I thought was fantastic. I, you know, I would concur. I thought that uh, overall it was a very strong uh, mini series. I don't think there's going to be a season two, is there? There could be. I no, suppose, but I mean that it would I mean, be the, new, right? The be... stand didn't have a season two, the the novel, no. but this TV show could have a season two. There's no reason why they couldn't have this. They couldn't shoehorn a season two into here. Oh yeah, I mean that's something they've always been able to do, right? If something is successful, like keep it going to make more money. But I, well, we even have hooks, right? There's hooks to tie into for a season two. Oh, there is the final it's scene. All there. The final scene of episode nine sort of does, but um, I don't think there would be. I think that would be crazy. If anything, I think they'll probably just redo the stand again ten or twenty years from now, and maybe make some more tinkering changes to it. Um, but yeah, overall, seven really great, nine really great, eight uh, pretty good. But what I'm thinking is the last few episodes of this show, primarily seven and eight, 
To start on a slight negative, I would say had a little bit of a pacing problem. Really? Yeah, because I thought basically what happens is, you know, in seven, it's called the walk. And this is their uh, journey to New Vegas from Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, they, they travel all the way to Vegas. Most of it is handled with this traveling montage. And don't get me wrong. I really liked the traveling montage, but I could feel myself going, you know what? I could easily watch four episodes of them on the road to Vegas and they're just kind of glossing over it. Right. Well, um, yeah. but I liked it. I liked the traveling montage at the same time. Uh, and, and then they get to, you know, new Vegas, it falls. Uh, and, and I thought a show that was kind of taking its time for certain things in the first like six episodes suddenly just sped through this final act like it just went warp speed and and just got through so much stuff over two episodes so felt like a little bit of a pacing problem but i guess it wasn't that big a deal for me because i still enjoyed the story quite a bit you've seen the movie big fish right yeah of course love that movie there's a, there's a quote in that movie that i really like that uh, that is apt here good things take time great things happen all at once <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> so maybe if you look at it that way, yes, I would agree with you that, uh, you know, it was kind of a, it was, had a nice pacing throughout the first chunk of, of this, uh, of this season, uh, or this mini series, depending on how you look at it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, at the end things happen quickly, right? It's just like, whoa, bang, bang, boom, boom, lightning from the sky, everything's over. Well, yeah, exactly. And we'll, we'll get to the lightning in, in a little bit, but it just seemed like, yeah, I think one of the complaints that some of the people had about this show is that the, um, the book goes into great detail about some of the traveling parts or first of all, getting to Boulder, right? Having all the characters congregate there, but, but all that is lost. And we talked about it last time, you know, it's an adaptation for TV. It's a different medium. So these things are going to change, but for some reason, I felt it more because maybe now I was a little more familiar with the characters. I was a little more familiar with what they were going through and they had to travel to Vegas. You know, I know we, we skipped over the entire part of where the spies went to Vegas, but that didn't feel as essential to the plot and to the characters as this did. But, you know, they got there in one montage in an episode and it was set to this song by Radiohead called I Promise, which I thought was really nice too. Yeah. So... What if the show took four seasons to do all of this? Would, would that be better or worse? I, I like don't. The first season is the initial outbreak and everybody getting to where they are, like uh, Boulder and Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, and then the season ends, right? Then the second season is, you know, the life and times of these two groups. And the third season is the spies. And then the f last season is... Uh, uh, you know, the end, the end game. I, I mean, that doesn't sound so bad to me. I think that would, that could work. I think Maybe it might. When, in 20 years, they might do that. I think it might be able to work. Yeah. Make a whole multi-season version of the stand. I, I could see it working. Um, but that's not what they did here. Nope. Uh, so basically, you know, this episode number seven, if we can just sort of run through it a little bit here, we start off with, uh, Trash can man stealing the nuclear warhead. <laughs> and yep. 
I was sort of thinking, I mean, could you actually do this? Could it could a dude like break into a missile silo, cut the warhead off a missile and just put it on the back of a golf cart and drive away? I don't know. If you knew, well, I don't know either. I think that the biggest part would be getting that friggin' blast door open, right? Oh, yeah. Because that thing is probably, it's it's thick, but it, it sure as hell ain't made of paper mache. It's probably all steel and concrete, right? It's like breaking into a safe. Mm-hmm. It would take you, you know, seven and a half years just to get that fucking door open. Once you get the door open, everything's fine. I mean, the missile's got to be as light as possible, so it's probably made out of, like, tinfoil. And you just cut, as long as you know where to cut near the top, you can get that thing out of there. No problem. Okay. Fair enough, I guess. Uh, But anyways, like I did enjoy the scene because he just seems more jacked up and like nuts than even before. Right. He's just, he's just a bonkers character. That guy. Yeah. (laughs) I was hoping there would be more of uh, trash can man. And I thought we'd, uh, I was hoping we'd get more into his character because I was having so much fun with, uh, with Trash Can, Can Man's character in that, in the previous episode. Yeah. And then it was relatively short, you know, he's just kind of there. So maybe I'll go back and, you know, reread the novel because I'm sure there's a lot more color, uh, commentary around the Trash Can Man. Yeah, no. And I- his, his mindset, you know, Stephen King being Stephen King. Uh, and novels being what they are, where you can actually get inside someone's head in order to portray their thoughts and feelings. I think that, you know, reading his thoughts and feelings would be a hell of a lot of fun and weird. Oh yeah. It would make me feel strange things about Stephen King all over again. Well, and if anyone can, you know, write that kind of character, Stephen King. Yeah. Um, the, the other, I mean, the rest of the sort of beginning to this episode involves some pretty emotional stuff with Mother Abigail. You know, she's uh, dying, but she tells the committee that they have to travel to New Vegas, although Franny gets to stay behind because she's pregnant. Um, you know, she she mentions that they can't take any food, any water. I wasn't quite sure why this was the case. Uh, she also mentions that someone won't make it, but she doesn't know who because God won't tell her. Um, and I, I sort of just took this as kind of a take on the idea that, that God is mysterious and you just have to do things on faith, right? Go, yep. you have to stay behind. Someone's not going to make it. I don't know who, and, and this is going to be important in some way. Uh, and then she dies and the group acts on her information. Basically they, they hit the road. I also thought the the Franny and Stu goodbye conversation in their house was really, really amazing. Um, I think the two of them, the two, those two actors, uh, were both pretty stellar in this whole mm-hmm. season actually. And, and I really, really believed that they were, uh, a couple that was connected and, and really sort of in love with each other. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that, uh, it is an act of faith, right? It's a, uh, we have to wage this war and in order to, uh, be successful, you have to, uh, you have to be faithful. You know, the, you know, the Lord will provide what yeah. you need in order to achieve your goal, which also ties into, you know, Stephen King, I'm not, don't know if it's necessarily Stephen King, but, uh, it's a double-edged sword, right? It's also a, uh, you know, God's a bit of a dick in that he <laughs> tests you before he gives you 
anything. Yeah. Right. You have to have faith, which means you have to leave without any food or water and nothing but the clothes on your back. Mm -hmm. You can leave with nothing but clothes. And if you take anything, God's going to just leave you behind. You're screwed. You're all going to die. And uh, all of humanity is, is doomed. Uh, so it's a, you know, yes, they have to have faith, but God's a bit of an asshole for, you know, having that test in the first place. <laughs> All right, then. Well, if that's the conclusion we've come to, uh, well, there's probably no, it's some- just, It's Stephen there's... King's take on the conclusion, right? I'm yeah. not saying anything about, you know, actual faith. This is a story where uh, these characters have to, uh, you know, triumph over evil. In order to do that, they have to have faith. So there's a, there's a test of faith. Mm-hmm. There's an act of faith. You know, whereas uh, Randall Flagg doesn't really have that. He's a uh, more of a manipulator in that I will ensnare you by lying and then you'll be forced to do what I want you to do. Yeah. Not have any kind of faith. So it's two, two different takes on, uh, on getting somebody to do something that you want them to do. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's the difference between good and evil. <laughs> uh, yeah. In a way. Well. They hit the road, um, and of course, also on the road is Harold and Nadine. Uh, they're going to New Vegas, uh, but Harold loses control of his bike, crashes, flies over the median, mortally yep. wound, mortally wounds himself by landing on a, a big pack of driftwood, it looks like. A tree. It was an old tree. An old tree. Yeah, fair. And of course, Nadine is responsible at least partially for the crash because she kind of tricks him into going too fast and then not being able to make the turn and she leaves him there to slowly die over a few days and says it's better this way you don't need to come to new vegas with me yeah but she gives she says you have a way out right like you have the you could take the easy way out don't forget and then turns to walk away and he's like oh Right. I have a gun and starts shooting at her, even though she's gone. Well, luckily he saves one bullet because ultimately he does lie there for a couple of days. He writes himself or he writes a note in a journal he has and then shoots himself. Um, and the, the contents of the journal is him apologizing for his actions, taking res- and taking full responsibility for them. And he makes a point not to blame Randall Flagg. He's like, I did this of my own accord. And I'm sorry. So it was a little bit of a, an attempt at redemption for that character, I think. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I had trouble feeling too much sympathy for the guy. Well, yeah. I mean, he was, he was very angry and uh, disappointed in life and didn't get what he wanted. So he turned to the dark side uh, and was manipulated. But he had, in the end, he had his um, his redemption all on his own, right? Yeah. He, w- he wasn't prompted. He wasn't, because uh, later on we see that in the next episode where, uh, you know, there is redemption in people, but it's prompted redemption, right? It's mm-hmm. a, uh, uh, something happens, we'll get to it, but uh, something happens that causes people to change their minds. Yeah. But he changed his mind all on his own. I mean, sure, he was lying with a broken arm and a friggin' tree through his chest, uh, you know, and he even tried to eat. Yeah. You know, I, I really honestly think that if I was lying uh, in that position uh, and with those kinds of injuries, 
I'm pretty sure the last thing on my mind would be writing a memoir and or eating. You know, I'd be just in this kind of a delirious stupor and uh, I'd probably take a quick way out quick because it'd be like, there's no getting out of this. No, there's, there's no getting out of it. Absolutely. But he, he decided that to do that, right. He made that decision, but he wanted to just write down his, his thoughts first, I think for whoever might find it. Right. He didn't know that the rest of the gang would be coming by there. He just wanted to make peace with himself by writing it down. And then, uh, and then he shoots himself and I felt bad. He, poor guy gets eaten by vultures after that. Well, yeah, that's fine. I guess the the vulture, you know, the vultures, that's all, that all happens after you're dead. Who cares? I suppose the vultures have to eat too. The other thought I had is, man, Owen Teague, the guy who played Harold, I sort of felt bad for him. I bet you he had to lie there for hours covered in blood and dirt, fake blood and dirt. And, you know, to film those scenes. And I'm like, boy, that just looks uncomfortable. You know, sometimes these actors go through some, some shit, man. I'm sure he was properly supported and, and comfy. I don't want to say that it's the hardest job in the world. It's certainly not. And uh, you're well con- compensated for it usually, but it didn't look fun is all I'm saying. Lying right. there all that time. Anyways, Nadine continues on, on her way to New Vegas. She encounters Flag, And in a scene that's mostly vision or dream, she has sex with Flag as they've been leading up to. And while they're doing it, she glimpses him in his true form, which is kind of fun. And she ends up in this pure white gown. You know, she's following a trail of white roses to flag. When we see him, he has this white rose in his breast pocket. He's drinking milk again, which is white. Yep. I'm starting to figure all this this symbolism out with the milk and everything like that, right? Um, and... You know, it was pretty obvious to me that they were surrounding Flag with all these white, pure, virginal-looking things, uh, you know, to sort of tell us, I guess, how he felt about Nadine up until that point. Um, but ultimately, then they have sex, and he puts a baby in her. He sure does. <laughs> That's not the way it works, though, in real life. It's not? Well, you know, the man doesn't, the man doesn't put the baby in the woman, <laughs> you know, you're well, you're, you're aware of how, you know, procreation works in general. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It, it happened yeah, at it, least it, twice. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's not just a, you know, there's two sides to that coin. I don't think you have to go through but, it. <laughs> but Randall Flagg there, you know, he very well could have put a baby in her, right? Because it's an abnormal sure. pregnancy. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Say. That's for sure. Um, but that's what happens to her. And ultimately she gets to, to Vegas. Uh, now the rest of the group, as I mentioned, they make their way across the country. They do come across Harold's body on the way. And Larry is the one who reads the journal entry, uh, which was uh, appropriate. I think he, um, you know, he was very close to Nadine and he kind of, despite all the terrible things that Harold did, wanted to at least cover his body. So he leaves his jacket over him. Um, you know, I thought that was a nice scene and I guess we had to have a character discover the journal that he wrote. Otherwise, what would be the point? Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel when I write a journal, my journal. Someday someone will find it. And, yeah, uh, if, is somebody going to read this? I don't know. What's the point? 
I mean, hopefully they don't read it next to your dead body eaten by vultures, but if they do, whatever. Whatever. Vultures got to eat, like you say. They do. The main thing, though, that happens to the group is that they come across this washed out section of road. They try to climb down and up through the other side, but of course something goes wrong. And in this case, it's Stu falling down and breaking his leg. Yep. So Stu is the one that can't keep going on, on their journey at least. And uh, as Mother A said, one of them wasn't going to make it. Now, she didn't say one of them would die. She said one of them wouldn't make it. And he has a broken leg, so he can't climb up. Larry doesn't want to leave him, but of course, Stu convinces them that they must go on and the rest of them leave him there. But luckily, Kojak stays behind to keep him company, the dog. Good old Kojak. Good old Ko- Kojak, yeah. So this this comes into play a little bit later in this uh, in this series in the last episode. But if you're in the apocalypse, right, and you're doing stuff, you have to be super careful. You can't drive really fast on a motorcycle uh, because it's fun and there's no traffic. You can't just climb around things or climb down steep things or jump around because if you get injured. There's no EMTs, there's no hospital, there's no uh, physiotherapy afterwards. You break your leg, there's a good chance you're fucked. You're just, you're going to die, right? You get impaled on a tree, nobody's going to come around and, and, you know, get you out of that situation. Like, you're just screwed. Yeah. So you have to be careful. Mm -hmm. You have to be very careful. Getting a scratch, you cut yourself, it gets infected. You could die. Yeah. Right. You can't just go, oh shit, that really, that's, that's getting infected. I better go have that looked at. And then somebody gives you, you know, a magical powder that just makes it go away. And that's, I assume that's what a doctor would do. Just sprinkle a magical powder on your infected leg and it, the infection just goes away. Yeah, sure. It sounds like what doctors do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you just, you have to be super careful and don't do anything dumb like crawling on a rickety goddamn well. Well, which will happen and we'll get to that. Sure. You're jumping ahead, but no, you're absolutely right. And, and that thought struck me as well. You know, it's like he drives too fast and he crashes and dies. They try to climb through a ditch, which to be fair, they didn't really have any other option, but boy, oh boy, do you have to be careful doing it and watch every step? Because if you fall down and break your leg, you're done. There's nothing to, there's nothing you can do. There's nobody to help you, as you said. So yeah, you really, really do have to be careful. Um, Luckily, in the apocalypse, I'll probably die pretty soon, (laughs) pretty soon after it happens. So I don't have to worry about that shit. Regardless of what the nature of the apocalypse is, you're doomed. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably true. Well, Stu is stuck down there. The rest continue and pretty soon after they get picked up by Lloyd and driven in a limo, the final little bit of distance to Vegas. When they get there, they're greeted by Nadine, who, uh, despite feeling very beautiful after her copulation with Randall Flagg and very, very pregnant already, she's actually quite weathered and emaciated looking and pale, but uh, she doesn't really know that yet. She's she's uh, thinking she's looking pretty good and she greets them and here they are. They're at New Vegas. What's going to happen next? Hooray! 
They got there. Hooray. They did indeed get there. So yeah, overall, I thought this episode was, was pretty great. I enjoyed everything with, with what happened to Harold. Uh, even though I thought it glossed over a lot of the trip, I mean, it's okay. I also sort of appreciated the, the, uh, montage of them traveling and, uh, we didn't mention Ray, but Ray is with them as well, right? It's, it's Stu, Glenn, Ray, uh, Larry, and the dog who made the trip. Um, and so I quite, I quite actually enjoyed it and they got to Vegas and I'm like, okay, we're here for a big stand i guess someone's gonna someone's gonna make a big grand stand yeah and we get into episode eight which is called the stand so where do we start um what i what i didn't like about this episode is that there were some things about it that i don't think were really set up and paid off very well and frankly i don't feel like it met my expectations and I will gladly admit that it doesn't have to meet my expectations or at least it doesn't have to be what I thought it was going to be to be good. And after watching it a second time, I realized that and I thought to myself, if I take my own kind of preconceptions about what I was expecting from this episode out of the equation, I actually thought it was kind of better than uh, I did after the first viewing. Well, the, uh, the secret to life in general is not to have any expectations. You can have hopes, you can have dreams, but yeah. just don't have any expectations. Uh, and, yeah. And it, I, you'd be better off, believe me. Maybe that's what it is. Um, but, but my original feeling was like, at least on the surface after my first viewing, I was like, they went all the way to Vegas for nothing. I felt oh, like that's not true at all. I, yeah, but I felt like our, our, our characters got there and didn't do anything, but I, I realized that that is not true. And, uh, and I think actually a, quite a bit happened in this, this final episode and, you know, making, making the journey worth it for our characters. So I'm okay. Did exactly I've, the same thing that Jesus did. I've well, I've right? come, I've come around, and I and I kind of am into it now. The lightning thing, I have some problems with, but but the actual details of what happened, of what our characters did, and what each of them did, I think is important, and and I really, really understood it more when I watched it a second time. Right. They 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 martyred themselves. Right. They yeah. uh, they sacrificed themselves. There was a show trial, which was necessary. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they martyred themselves and the, uh, it, you read Snow Crash, right? Uh, I read part of Snow Crash. I fell off of that book halfway through. Well, the, the first chapter is, you know, great breathtaking. It's yeah. just absolutely phenomenal. I go back and read the first chapter every now and again, but, uh, the idea of a Nam Shub. You're familiar with that? When I say Namshub, do you know what I mean by that? I, I recall the term, but feel free to, to um, enlighten everybody. It's an idea. It's, uh, it's like a little mini program that uh, human beings spread from one person to another. Mm -hmm. And it's basically knowledge. It's, uh, you know, it's eating from the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge. It's, it's knowing something you didn't know before, and you can't get rid of it once you know it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like somebody pointing out that, uh, what's his name on the walking dead. 
I forget his name, but his ears are too goddamn big. His earlobes are absolutely massive. <laughs> Shane. What's his name? Shane. <laughs> way back in the uh, day. <laughs> yeah, way back in the day. You don't notice it. You're going through your life. Everything's fine. And all of a sudden, somebody tells you that Shane's earlobes are fucking huge. And it's that's it. You're done, right? That For the rest of your life, you're looking at his goddamn ears every time he's on the screen. Yeah. That's that's a NAM shop. You can't get rid of it. And you can pass that information uh, you know, you can, you can, uh, governments for centuries and for thousands of years, people have been trying to suppress information and you can't do it because the information spreads one way or the other, one way or another. This is how knowledge spreads. This is how we learn as a society. This is how we got farming. Yep. Uh, this is how we learn to use tools, how we learn to speak, how we teach our kids to speak. These are all NAM shubs. These are all little programs that we give to people that they then that then grow and spread. So this idea of these people uh, making this walk uh, and going to New Vegas and then the stand is basically them becoming martyrs and people seeing this and getting the idea. And I forget what the phrase was that uh, they, that kept spreading through the the crowd. I'll uh, talk. I'll, I'll. It was I. F- I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. Yeah. Right. So that idea is a nam shub. Right, it's starting to spread, mm-hmm. and all these people are becoming uh, aware that this is this is fucked up. Yeah, right. This is like we're killing these people for what? For entertainment? Uh, and it's just it's this idea that spreads, and because of that, that is the uh, you know, and that evokes the the power of God or what have you to come and uh, you know fight the battle. Right, and that's what I I came to. Right, I I went into this episode kind of expecting a a big obvious you know multi-character stand to up against evil right but instead it was a series of smaller individual things that that really made the difference and i think that's a way better story now that well, i i mean what's the alternative it? a slap fight well right? were you going to stand there next to randall flag and slap him as he slaps you and see who can slap longer and the louder I mean, with Alexander Skarsgård, I'd watch that, but I don't think it would work for this uh, show. Who wouldn't watch a, sl- a slap fight? And he had his shirt open at one point. Was your wife happy about the fact that his shirt was open? You could see his chest? She didn't watch the show with me. Uh, she she watched the first episode, maybe the second one, and was like, I don't think I can do this right now. Because that was all about the oh, virus yeah, right. and people dying, right? I've tried to convince her to watch the rest of it because it gets away from that. And there's still gruesome stuff in it, right? But But it's not about that. And well, uh, mention his glorious chest and see if she gets on board again. Well, and the fact that there's Skarsgård ass in this at least a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I was focusing on the chest. I forgot all about the ass. There you go. What I wanted to do, though, is just take a look at each character quickly and, and what they did. And I want to start with Glenn because he's the guy in the mock trial, right, that realizes the absurdity of it all. And he calls that out in the room, right? He tells them that this is crazy, that, you know, he really, he says that flag crucifying people is a sign of weakness, not strength, because he has to do this to his people to keep them in line. And he realizes that everybody is afraid of flag and fear is the only thing he has over them. So when he speaks up about this, he kind of does it in a way that's taunting Lloyd. And ultimately what he does is he puts that seed of doubt in Lloyd's mind, like, you know, this is all ridiculous. He only has 
the only control Flag has over you is because you're afraid of him. And without fear, Randall Flag is is nothing. Now Glenn pays the price for it. He's shot dead. Multiple. <laughs> he shot dead multiple times. He shot multiple times and is yeah. dead. They uh, killed him twice. The bastards. They did. Um, of course, but but his stand was in putting that seed of doubt in Lloyd's mind, which started to spread. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. so I, I really, really love that. If we look at, uh, let's say Larry next, he does a couple of things. He is instrumental in showing Nadine the mistake of her ways, right? He's the one that says, look at you. Have you looked at yourself? Look at what's happened. Look at what he's done to you. And he holds up that silver platter, like a mirror in front of her and gets her to see what she really looks like. Yep. Which is similar to what Glenn did in a way, like putting that seed of doubt in her, although it was a little more obvious because, uh, you know, her own reflection was staring her in the face. Um, and then of course, as we mentioned later, he begins the, I will fear no evil chant when he is, uh, when him and Ray are chained in the pool. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention, Jason, is that my theory from last time about Nadine keeping the kids and Larry away from the explosion was confirmed. They actually said that in this episode. I think Larry says to her, you, you saved us. You prevented me from going to that explosion. So, you know, it's, it's also the other thing that Larry makes Larry realize that there's still some good in her, you know, he, he, and, and then he holds up the platter in front of her and says, look at yourself. So I felt, uh, I felt vindicated on that one. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if you go to Nadine next, right? She wants, she has this realization. She stands up against flag and decides to kill herself and the baby in the most fricking horrifying way, going out the window and just landing face down on the pavement in of the, the pool, like yeah. hundreds of not hundreds, but dozens of stories below them. Chris Platt. And as, as horrifying as that whole thing was, the slow-mo shot from above with all the broken glass around her as she's like plummeting down the white gown fluttering in the wind, I thought was a really incredible shot. It, it was. And I, I, it was very important because it, you know, we realized a couple of uh, episodes back that uh, Flag wasn't, you know, om- omnipotent. Yeah. He didn't have absolute control. He had, he was able to manipulate people and get them to bend to his will and lie, but he can't, uh, you know, there's such a thing as free will. He can't override free will. Right. So, which is, uh, what's his name? When he wrote the, wrote the note saying, I take full responsibility mm-hmm. because he had free will. And that's a, a very important, uh, concept in, uh, you know, in, in a lot of religion, is that uh, sure? There's uh, there's good in the world, but uh, sure there's absolutely absolutely evil in the world as well. And people can be super dicks to each other because there's free will, yeah. and God can't uh, override that. Neither can the devil. They can talk to you about it. They can try and convince you that it's the right thing to do, but ultimately you're going to make your own goddamn decisions. And if you want to be an absolute dick to other people, well. That's the way it is, I guess. That's what you're going to do. That's right. So Randall Flagg did not have control over her free will and her free will was, fuck this shit. I'm checking out. Yeah. Well, that was her stand. She was like, I'm taking myself out with this 
offspring, right? This devil's offspring kind of thing. Yep. Um, so we have Glenn standing up and introducing Seed of Doubt. We have Larry uh, showing, you know, Nadine what she really is, which sort of prompts her own version of a stand uh, by jumping out the window. Lloyd, who is Flag's right-hand man the whole time, because of that seed of doubt, you know, he's the one who stands up to flag close to the end and says no when he's asked to drown Larry and Ray in the pool, right? Um, actually, flag asks him to shoot somebody in the crowd who who said, I will fear no evil, and he just says no. Um, so he, you know, that's his own version of a mini stand against flag now. I wasn't as satisfied with this one because I didn't feel like Lloyd was redeemed in any way. Maybe he didn't deserve it. I don't know because he's kind of just randomly killed off immediately following that with the big swinging debris that takes his head off. Yeah. Um, but the point is he did make a, a basic stand. He said no and walked away. Yeah. Right. Um, if we go back to Stu who spent the night in the ditch with the broken leg, right? He's there with the dog. And I had to think a little bit about what it is he did. And I think, I think his stand in a way was deciding to, to live through it by not taking too many of the pills that Glenn left him for the pain, because they made a real point of Glenn saying, look, if you take three or four of these, it, it'll be fatal. Um, yep. And, and Stu said, no, I want to live. I'm not going to do that. Even when faced with, with wolves attacking him in the night. So I think he was kind of just defying what appeared to be his ultimate fate, right? Saying, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to go out that way. Uh, of course he was helped by the dog who Kojak took a stand against the wolves, you know? <laughs> yeah. Good boy. Good boy. He fought off those wolves and, and saved Stu the other thought I had about that though, was the, the scene at night with the wolves where they were approaching Stu there, it came immediately following Nadine going out the window. And I was thinking to myself, come on show. If I just had to watch a pregnant woman fly out a window and land belly down on the pavement and I, it's immediately followed by a dog dying, trying to defend someone, I might have to take a break from this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that because that might have been too much, but luckily Kojak comes out on top and is everything's okay. Yeah, because he's a super dog. He's a great and, dog. And great name for a dog too, Kojak. It really is. It makes me want to get a dog and call him Kojak. Yeah, I Just, mean you could also go with Cotter. Don't tell my like kids that. if I say that out loud, they'll never stop talking about getting a dog. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So let me ask you a question, Jason. Sure. The only character, you know, primary character I haven't mentioned is Ray, because I'll be honest with you, I couldn't figure out what her stand was. I, I agree. She kind of piggybacked on Larry because she was chained in the pool with him, but I, I, I couldn't figure out what she did. Like, what did, what was her purpose there other than to like help them get there on the road? And maybe that's what it was, but... I don't feel like Ray was given a proper mini stand. I can't think of one either. Yeah. I mean, it's good to have friends, right? Supporting characters. S supporting. It's, you know, it's good to have support and yeah. company. 
Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure if anyone has any thoughts on that, I would love to hear it, but, uh, I like the character, you know, um, but I didn't really see what Ray added to this, to this episode. So anyways, to sum all that up, what I take away from this is that it doesn't have to be a big grand act. The point is tiny acts of defiance can have a great impact. And, um, you know, if you don't think thematically, if you don't think you matter in this world, stand up for what's right, regardless of how unlikely it may seem to bring change, it's still the right thing to do. And it's still important. Absolutely. That was what I took away from this. And once I realized all of that and kind of put all this together in my mind, I was like, God damn show. You were really good, weren't you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, all right. So that brings us to the lightning ball at the end. Uh, what happens is Randall Flagg ultimately is taken down by a glowing lightning ball in the sky. And I want to read an email here that came from listener Simon on the internet. Simon says... I feel these episodes seven and eight really suffer from the condensed storyline. So much happens that I think if you haven't read the book, you won't understand what is going on. My question to you is, what did you think of the storm that sets off the nuke? Did you grasp the symbolism of the clouds rolling in around the building? Did you even understand why the storm came? This was literally the hand of God that comes and smites them all. This is explained explicitly in the book, but on screen, I'm looking at that all roll out and wondering how many people are watching and thinking, what the fuck? Well, I can't really answer that because I kind of knew what it was, but I'm not sure if it's because I've read the novel a couple of times mm -hmm. and I've forgotten about it. Uh, but I, you know, might be sticking in the back of my mind that I, I, I knew immediately what it was and I knew that it was the, uh, the stand that everybody was taking and the rebellion that, uh, uh they were inciting and the Nam shub that they were spreading. Mm -hmm. Uh, it just, it, and it was why God wanted them to, to take that journey and that test of faith and they've uh, proven their faith by going there and therefore the hand of God came down and, and smote their enemies or his enemy. Yeah. So it, it all made sense to me, but I'm not sure if it's because I have the background information that I need for, to put all that together. Yeah. And, and I would say that it more or less made sense to me, but I was a little taken aback with it going, okay, I, I guess this is God coming down and doing his or her thing and 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 just ending this here but but is there was there a build up to this kind of finale i didn't really feel like there was i felt like it was all more about the individual sort of smaller story of these characters um and then suddenly god comes in represented by a a lightning ball which i kind of thought was a little wacky to be honest with you ah, god can be whatever, the, whatever I, he or she wants i know and be a lightning ball could be a big you know literal hand of god given uh uh you know given randall flag a slap maybe it is a slap fight between god and randall flag it could be alanis morissette for all we know right but it, it, it's sure that's I from dogma 
You're referencing uh, Dogma? That, Dogma, uh, yes. I think so. Okay, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I'm Kevin, with you. Kevin Smith movie. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it took me aback for sure, at least the first time. And uh, I think Simon, the emailer, makes a good point in saying that there's probably a lot of people out there going, what the hell is this? Like, I don't, I don't really get this. And I was it's like the end of a 2001, a space odyssey, right? If you haven't read the novel, uh, you know, it's yeah. just, it's a bunch of guys in space, robot goes, or, you know, AI goes crazy, kills a bunch of people. And then all of a sudden it's like, what, what's going on here? Star child. Some kind of psychedelic thing. <laughs> yeah. Going through it, and why is he in this room with the lighting on the bottom? And what does a baby? What yeah. the fuck? No, and I agree. And that was my reaction the first time I saw 2001, too, because I hadn't read the novel at that point. Reading the book really, really made me love that whole experience, the movie and the book, to be honest, because I, yeah. I absolutely love it. Did you read the whole series? I did. 2061, 3001. It was really good. I loved it. Um, yeah, loved all of them. I read 3001 in like a a day to day and a half yeah, at most. I take long. Yeah. No, not at all. Um, uh, so, so I can see Simon's point. Like it, it's a little hard to get on board with that. I think it was for me. And I think probably for a lot of people. Um, and then of course the lightning ball sets off the nuke, the lightning ball, fires lightning <laughs> at at the nuke which heats it up and blows it up and i i mean i guess that was really just all about cleansing with fire you know blow this place up oh, yeah nuclear radiation eliminate it seems it like all. the lightning ball was plenty i mean first of all setting off a nuke is incredibly hard right you can't just heat it up you can't drop it you can't hit it with a hammer and the damn thing will go off i mean there's been plane crashes with nukes on board and the nukes didn't go off because well, they're really hard to set off. It's got to be a very specific series of events that has to happen in the right order. And the timing has to be right. It, it pushes the, the uranium plug into the ball and it has to be done at exactly the right time. And then the whole thing goes off, right? It's very difficult. But then again, it's fucking God, right? It's the hand right. of God going, eh, I'm going to set off that nuke. Right. If God wants to set off a nuke, that nuke is going off. I agree. I agree. And that's why I didn't mind it so much. But the whole thing made me think of the phrase uh, hoisted with one's own petard. Do you know that phrase? I, I do know that phrase. All right. So I'm I, not sure what a petard is. Well, I'll tell you because I know what it means, but I had never really looked it up. And of course it means it's, it's the, um, it's, it's when your own, it's when you're taken down by your own plan. It's sort of a oh, yeah. dramatic irony, right? Where you are foiled by your own plan. And so I went and looked it up and apparently it comes from Hamlet, William Shakespeare's Hamlet. Oh, of course. Of course. And uh, the phrase from Wikipedia here, the phrase's meaning is literally that a bomb maker is blown up by his own bomb. <laughs> yeah, well, there it is. So it came to mind and I was like, well, that's especially appropriate in this... Uh, in this um, case, because, you know, Flagg's plan was to put this bomb on a plane, fly it to uh, Denver and blow up Mother Abigail's uh, community. Right. But uh, instead, the bomb comes to his own hotel, the Inferno Hotel, and uh, blows him up and all his people. So he was hoisted by his own petard. 
So what was the trash can man doing? Like, what was his motivation for going to Vegas rather than the airport? That was a question I had, too, because it came right after uh, Flag outlined the plan, right? And then he shows up at the hotel instead. And I was like, well, is he just too stupid to understand the plan? He brought it to the wrong place? I don't know. I don't know, but it seemed like a long trip on a golf cart. So maybe he should have planned that a little bit better, too. Uh, Yeah, although I don't believe the airport in Vegas is that far from the Strip. I, no, it's right on this. Okay. Yes. It's right on the strip. Yeah. But, uh, oh, you know, sorry. from wherever the nuclear, uh, silo was yeah. to the downtown Vegas, uh, I don't know. I question the use of a golf cart. Yeah. True. <laughs> You're right. I don't know where the, the silo was. It could have been a long trip. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, he brings it there. It blows up. The nuke goes off. And, um, a little part of me was like, is anyone going to survive this? Clearly no one could survive that, but I'm like, what about Larry and Ray? Like, could they survive? No, they were right next to it. But I started thinking, oh, are they going to do something dumb? Like they, they were underwater, so they were insulated somehow, but no, <laughs> they weren't. They, Man, they need, what they needed was a fridge, right? They, they just needed a lead lined fridge That's right. at ground zero and they would have been fine. It would have been fine. No, they were underwater and, uh, Everything was vaporized as it would be if a nuke exploded right there. So yeah, because the lead line fridge will save you because the only issue with nuclear bombs is the radiation. Of course. There's no, there's no blast wave. There's no nothing. There's no heat. There's no fire. It's just radiation. So if you've got, you know, uh, a millimeter of lead, you'll be fine. Totally fine. But no, bomb goes off. Everyone's dead. And... I guess the last thing we see before this episode closes is good old Tom who had left Vegas. Remember when he escaped in the the body truck, he comes across Stu in that, uh, in that ditch and we don't really see what happens, but you got to feel good that maybe everything was going to be okay with them. Well, when Tom's around, everything's going to be okay. It does seem that way. So we go into episode nine, which is called the circle closes. And this really is sort of the, um, the wrap up to all of it. And it it tells the story of what happens, you know, after flag is taken down and what that encompasses is Franny has the baby and she kind of goes on with life in Boulder, right? We get this really great voiceover of her explaining uh, really quite well. I thought what happens in the immediate months following and you know we find out the baby is born that it contracts the virus but it recovers the first human ever to recover of it from it and that's Mm. because it has one immune parent we don't find out who the other parent was to this baby but it turns out it's not important it's just that it was somebody who had the virus and died yeah like the father is important to the whole you know growing a human being and giving birth thing well, I mean, the, I mean, raising a child, sure, but you know, the father is just more of a donor. I mean, not important to this story is what I was trying to say. Other well, than just the fact in general, that, just in general, I mean, there, oh. <laughs> you know, it's it's not that hard to be a father, but the, you know, the rate, the, the growing and birthing and, uh, of a child is, you know, it's nice that the father's involved, but uh, sure, you know, he's not necessary. No, not not essential, I guess. Um, Mother is absolutely. 
and then we also find out though that the first baby born in their community from two immune parents doesn't get sick so the immunity is passed down you know a hundred percent nice the whole thing what i loved about this opening scene actually is that the whole thing in a way is terribly sad but also uplifting at the same time i i thought they just did a really good job of of portraying that and Mm -hmm. uh part of it is because Stu hasn't returned yet because he's halfway across the country and franny is going on with her life the best she can but within the first act of this episode Stu does return and it it happens in this scene that i thought was actually really kind of weird because franny's out at some kind of like remembrance festival for the people that they've lost and she's standing there and then Stu just kind of shows up behind them <laughs> and you hear the dog barking and it's a it's a nice emotional reunion scene but nobody else in the crowd seems to react and i feel like that it would be a bigger deal if all of a sudden Stu and tom were suddenly back right but well yeah i mean you give them privacy they're having their moment i guess you, know, you can be excited afterwards it it felt weird to me it felt weird like it Everyone else would have been like cheering and like, oh my God, Stu's returned. I can't believe it. Uh, But none of that happened. But we did get a nice reunion between the two of them. And I felt very, very nice about that. Good. Um, They decide that they're going to go on a road trip. They're going to leave the community to head back east to Maine, where Franny is from, because she wants to see the ocean. That's the dumbest thing ever. (sighs) I, like, why would you leave? Why? I know she, she wants to go back to where she's from. She wants to, to go home, right? You can't go on a, this is, you know, this, this is the start of, uh, you know, taking unnecessary risks. Why would you take this unnecessary risk by, you know, leaving the community behind in order to go out into the unknown, uh, because you want to see the ocean and you want to go back home because you've been away for what, a year? You know, I've been away from Sault Ste. Marie for longer than a year. It was a year in October since I've been back. I'm not going to risk my life to go back there because I want to see, I'm not even sure what Bellevue park again. (laughs) It's a nice park, man. It's, it's Jasper's favorite park. There's so many playground things there. Yeah. They even have a zip line. There's a playground with a zip line on it. for That's pretty fun. But I see your point. Like why leave the safety of this community? They even make a point of telling us that there's like 500 new people there now, you know, new people keep showing up and it's really turning into a, a civilization, you know? So I, I, I see your point, but I don't know. There's something about the, the desire to go home. And once you're really comfortable in a place, it feels like you're going to be comfortable anywhere you go. And you know, a little bit of that is probably nostalgia, but she just wants to go, go to her home. And they even say like, we won't maybe stay there. We'll, we'll come back. It's just, we need to take this trip and, and see it one more time. Kind of. With a newborn. With a newborn. Yeah. Yeah. So there's also that, right? It's like, let's go out into the unknown, uh, you know, with maybe enough food, and water for the baby, maybe mm-hmm. not, but we'll find out. We'll find food. It's been a year. Cans are still pretty good. We'll find rice on the floor. We'll make that. <laughs> uh, you know, it it just seems like a really dumb thing to do. I remember when Jasper was a newborn, I didn't want to go to the goddamn grocery store. I know. Right? And I sure as hell wouldn't take him. 
Sure, yeah. <laughs> if I had to go, you know, it's it's just uh, it's a dumb idea, dumb idea all around. Well, despite that, they go and on the road trip somewhere in Nebraska, they come to this abandoned house by a cornfield. They decide to stay there for the night. Stu leaves to go find supplies, and while he's gone, you know, a bunch of things happen. And again, I felt the show did a really good job of of portraying the uh, oh my god, something bad, something terrible is about to happen feeling the whole time. It was pretty it was pretty tense. It's tense. And you just know, but you're like, oh, I at least me, I I'm sitting there going, I like this. I like the fact that they're happy and they're safe and they're on their little road trip and I don't want anything bad to happen. But you know she's gonna fall in that well and then she falls in the well and the baby is alone, which is horrifying. Yeah. In a goddamn crate. In a in a crate I mean, you know, safely in a crate, but alone. That's the main thing. She's after she gets bit by a rat. Yeah, that's true. She reaches in like, okay, she crawls over the well. Like who put, there's all kinds of bad here. So we have a, 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 an old well or not an old well, but a well that, uh, and boards across the well that has been just sitting there untended for a year. Mm -hmm. She wants to see if it works and she's reaching far out and trying to maintain her balance over the big crack in the board, like a, with a missing, there's a missing board telling you that this is not a stable platform. Yep. And she starts pumping and the, the water doesn't come out a whole lot. So she sticks her finger in the hole and then she eventually falls into the well after getting bit by a rat. And being it's, frightened by flag. He instigates yes. the, like the fall in the well. Right? It's just dumb all around, right? She, sure, she wants water and they don't have any water and Stu is going to get water yep. and he'll come back eventually. But, you know, uh, they they have radios that call. It's like, hey, when are you coming back? I'm thinking, it's just, this is the apocalypse. You have a baby. Be more careful. Be careful. Don't yeah. do stupid things. Yep. I, I do agree with you, but did, did, so- are you trying to tell me that this episode wasn't that great for you because there were too many stupid decisions in it? There was a lot of stupid decisions, but I do recognize that it was tense. Yeah. Right. I was tense during that. I have to give it credit for that because in general, and I've said this before, uh, horror movies are lost on me because I don't get scared. Yeah. But apparently I do get tense. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't scared per se, but I definitely recognized that I was tense because I didn't know what was going to happen and I knew something was going to happen. And this episode, uh, the teleplay was done by Stephen King. It was. He wrote this episode. So I think that kind of shows as well. Sure. And, um, from what I've discovered, it's very, very different than the ending of the, the book. So this was, this was Stephen King tinkering with his own work a little bit to, uh, fix, I think what he perceived as a problem with his own story in a way, actually after some perspective on it. But, um, yeah, so she falls in and she's gravely injured. There's no way she would survive this, um, without immediate attention. Um, and while she's out, you know, flag comes to her. And offers her a deal. And, and this is all, this all takes place in a, 
in a jungle setting. Um, and the first thing he does is he shows her this tribe of uh, people who are have no contact with sort of the civilized world. So they had no contact with the virus and it didn't actually affect them. Um, and he says it's like the last tribe on earth to have this. But then he says, look, you're going to die. Your baby's going to die. Stu's probably going to die. I can make all that go away. I can like send you back to your child and to your, your husband. But all I want is a kiss and every once in a while to be able to look through your eyes. So I want to be able to have the same sort of arrangement with you, Franny, that I had with Nadine, basically. Kind of be able to possess you once in a while just to be my eyes on Earth. Yeah. And Franny rejects him. She says, nope. And I really like the line she says as she's, after she bites him, she she goes to kiss him, bites his lip, and then runs off. And she says, get thee behind me, you fucking bastard. And <laughs> runs away. I thought that was a great line. I don't know if that's a... Like a real religious thing or, or it's what? It's a Bible quote. It's a, well, not the you fucking idiot thing or whatever that is. Yeah, probably was, not. <laughs> get thee behind me is, uh, is a Bible quote. Okay. I'm sure of it. It must be, but I thought it was fantastic. But the whole point is she rejects him. I also wanted to say that Alexander Skarsgård was amazing in this scene. I it thought was. that guy is so good at doing charming evil <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what that says about him, but he is so good when he's trying to manipulate people and just be this like uh suave, charming, evil dude. I don't know. He's he's nailed that that role. Yeah, he's right in there. And that tribe exists, eh? That tribe that's yeah. untouched by man. There's uh, there's a tribe out there that people keep uh well, they're on an island and they kind of everybody mostly leaves them alone, but every once in a while a religious zealot will go and try and preach the word of God to them yeah. and show up on the island and they, they immediately get murdered. Well, that I, tribe. yeah, I forget what they're called, but I've read about them. That one dude went and they killed him. Yeah. Yeah. They just like, what the fuck? You die. Yeah. You're, you know, it's, it's the ultimate us and them. We mm -hmm. are the us. Anybody else that shows up here is a them and them die. They, we don't understand you. That's right. Yeah. So the other thing that's going on here is that there's this little girl living in the cornfield beside this house, little mysterious girl. And, you know, after Franny rejects Flag, she sees Mother Abigail sitting on the steps of the house. And uh, Mother A confirms, you know, that she resisted Flag and she tells her things like that was good. You're going to be the mother of five children, which will help repopulate the earth. And, um, you know, that was, that was, that was nice. I thought it was, it was the sort of confirmation that Franny did the right thing and she rejected the evil and embraced the good kind of thing. And while this is happening, Stu returns the, the little girl who is a representation of mother a, she's a young mother, Abigail maybe resurrected mother Ab Abigail, who's sort of looking after them. Well, resurrection really, well, I don't think resurrection because yeah. obviously she's a little girl. She's maybe a reincarnation, but yeah. that's awfully fast because it's only like how, how long ago did mother a die? And this little girl is 
older than that. Yeah, 10 years so old, whatever. Reincarnation. Yeah. So it's not Mother Abigail. It has to be someone like Mother Abigail in that she is able to speak to God or God speaks to her or something like that. Yeah, I reincarnation, maybe. I, I, I mean, I think it was, I don't know if it was supposed to explicitly be the same character in a different form, but it's kind of similar in my mind anyways. But what I loved about that little girl is how awesome she was when she takes she con- was awesome. when she takes control of the situation when they pull Franny out of the out of the well with the winch on the car. You know, she's operating the winch first of all, and then when she gets her out, she tells the dog to go look after the baby. She just yeah. says, "Dog, baby." <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, <laughs> I thought the that dog was, obeys. It was amazing. Yeah, um, she was just so capable and telling Stu what to do as well, right? And then when they get Franny out of the well, she heals her. She fixes her bones. She unpunctures her lung and uh, she just heals her and then tells her to sit up and ultimately stand up, which I appreciated as well. Yep. It was good. (laughs) Yeah, she was great. So good. So good. And, you know, all of this was Franny's stand. You're right. This was her stand. She was confronted with the devil and she rejected him just like the others did. And uh, didn't allow him into her life, right? So mm-hmm. that she could go back to her baby. She could have more babies. She could be with Stu and they could continue on their journey for the rest of their lives. So I loved it. I thought it was really, really good, really well done. But as I said earlier, apparently way different than the end of the book, which I have no context on. But this ending worked for me really, really nicely. I don't recall the end of the book. So I don't know how this differs. Yeah. My, my understanding is that none of this happened and they do go on their trip to Maine in the book, but Franny never really gets her stand. And I think that's what Stephen King wanted to kind of remedy in this new ending is to give Franny her due kind of, um, but again, haven't read it. That's just what I've read online a little bit. Uh, but you know, not having that background this ending I thought really worked well for me. And of course the final scene is naked Randall flag walking <laughs> into that, into that, uh, tribe of, of people. He kills one of them. Um, and then <laughs> with finger guns with finger guns. Yeah, exactly. But then he just screams, worship me. Right. So he's, he's still around and looking for supporters. Well, yeah. So they take a shot at him, right? Which is the uh, so one of the one of the tribesmen uh, has a bow and arrow and shoots at Flag, yep. but Flag catches it, right? And that's uh, you know you can't uh, you can't destroy evil with evil. You can't destroy uh, violence with violence. So this was uh, you know just shooting at Flag just makes him stronger. It's like the uh, yeah. the evil. Uh, monster in uh, the fifth element right it's like sure you can shoot a whole bunch of uh, super powerful missiles at it but uh that's you know it's pure evil it's just going to get stronger because you're getting mad at it so the only thing that can defeat evil is love right and that's what did in franny's case her love for her child and yeah you know Stu. so he shows up at this so flag shows up at this uh uh at this tribe because back in Vegas, all his followers abandoned him. Well, not all his followers, but, uh, you know, that uh, the idea of, uh, you know, people turned from evil to good in uh, in Vegas. So he was losing his power. Uh, 
and then ultimately got zapped by lightning a bunch of times and was destroyed. But it's that uh, it's that gaining of power through worship, mm-hmm. right? Did uh, did God create man, or did man create God? You know, by the act of worship, uh, you know, gives. God's power and without worship, they don't have power. So flag didn't have any worshipers. So now he needs more. So what can he do? All these people that are worldly, uh, that he tried to get, uh, on his side, it didn't work out. So he has to go to a tribe of people that are untouched by, uh, anything, uh, you know, any other civilization in order to get them to worship him. And once they started worshiping him, then he had the power and was able to float again. He was, he floated up (laughs) just as the camera panned to the side. So we didn't get to see his wiener. Well, yeah, well, yeah, they're not going to show his wiener. I mean, that would, (laughs) you know, (laughs) anyway, so they might, cause he was doing that in Vegas too, right? He, we would see him floating in his yep. suite in Vegas because he had those worshipers, but then, uh, he didn't have them anymore. He's trying to get them back. And so now he can, uh, uh, he can float again. Totally. And some listeners who've been around for a long time may see this coming a bit, but it, the final scene reminded me a little bit of a Twilight Zone episode. And it was the episode called The Howling Man. It -hmm. reminds me of Rod Serling's monologue at the end of that episode, where Rod Serling says, you can catch the devil, but you can't hold him for long. Right? And so this thematically reminded me of that a little bit too, where, you know, you can, you can get him, but he's, evil will always be there. And, uh, it's, it's always going to get back out again. So the best you can do is fight against it and reject it and stuff like that. And, uh, I think that's thematically one of the things that I, that I got from this show too. Yeah. And it's a, it's a standard in Stephen King themes as well, right? Is that the struggle between good and evil is everlasting and ongoing and it cannot end. It Mm -hmm. cannot be destroyed. It can only be put off for a while. It can be, it's, uh, you know, the battle happens and either good triumphs or evil triumphs and, uh, the other side, the losing side, uh, cowers off into a corner for a little while to lick its wounds, but it will be back to fight another day. And this is, this is why I think there's going to, there can be a season two is that this struggle is unending, right? Randall flag is not dead. Mother Abigail, sure. She's dead, but the idea of her is not dead in this little girl, uh, whether she's actually mother Abigail or not, I don't believe she is, but, uh, you know, that, that struggle between good and evil can continue because, you know, it's everlasting. It can, it can. It's a very common theme. Almost everything ever made is ultimately about the struggle between good and evil. I hope they don't make a season two of this though. To be honest, I would honestly rather see this story retold again in some other way. Uh, and it sort of makes me want to go back and watch the, uh, the older miniseries. I don't know if I will, but it's a fascinating story. Maybe I should read the book. I should probably just read the book. Eh? You should read the book, you know, yeah. go right to the source. Yeah. It's probably a good idea. All right. Well, I overall loved this show, thought it was really great. I'm 
upset that so many people didn't seem to share that feeling with me, but I get it. I totally get it. Uh, you know, it's, it may not have been what you were looking for in the stand, but, uh, I thought it was really fantastic. I do have a few emails here that I want to read from listeners about it. Um, the first one comes from Matt in New Jersey and Matt says the finale of the stand left me cold. Overall, I enjoyed the show, but I don't think it'll be one I'm reminiscing about five years from now or rewatching. I think the problem was I really didn't care about the characters. Perhaps the combination of nine episodes and about a dozen important characters made connecting with them a near impossibility. I wish the backstories had been more compelling. The only good character I really cared about was Larry. Nick and Nadine at least had something that got me invested a bit in them. I did enjoy most of the villains, Randall, Lloyd, Julie, and even Harold, terrible as he was, gave me varying levels of enjoyment. All in all worth watching, but I won't be bouncing my grandkids on my knees talking about it. <laughs> so that speaks a little bit to the fact that it could have been fleshed out into more episodes or multiple seasons if, you know, it might, and it might have worked better for Matt if we got a little bit more with all of these characters. Shenandoah from West Virginia, who is a longtime listener of the podcast, wrote, I first read The Stand almost 30 years ago. It's still my favorite book. I have problems with the show, and they would be mostly solved if it had been two seasons to work on fleshing out characters more. Overall, I think this version, uh, some of the characters are not how originally described, and the religious theme of the book is toned down a lot. Those are things I don't like about about it, but can live with a second season would have made the show much better. So again, flesh it out a little more and a little bit better. Now, Shenandoah also sent a link to a podcast called the losers club, a Stephen King podcast. Oh yeah. And they did an interview apparently with Owen Teague who played Harold. She said it was great. We should listen to it. I haven't yet, but I wanted to mention it in case anyone was looking for it. So it's called the losers club, a Stephen King podcast. Just find that, and uh, they have an interview with Owen Teague. I'm probably going to listen to it, because I think he would be a fascinating guy to hear talk about his character. I am interested in this podcast. Very I good. I will check it out. Excellent. Finally, Cindy from very cold and snowy Columbus, Ohio, where it's currently four degrees Fahrenheit, a.k.a. the Buckeye State. <laughs> and apparently a Buckeye is a hard nut that you can't eat and native to Ohio, Jason. So it's a rock. Got it. <laughs> it's a rock. Yeah. <laughs> Cindy writes, for the most part, it was pretty good. I think the liberties they took with the story didn't stray too far from the book. I feel it's the same as the original miniseries with some slight variations. I didn't think it was better or worse. I enjoyed it without giving much away because I know Chris hasn't read the book. The ending strayed a little far from the novel, but that's okay. I liked it anyways. I give it four zombie groans out of five. Thanks again, Chris, for convincing me to watch it. So uh, you're welcome, first of all. And I just thought it was an interesting take that Cindy didn't actually think it diverged that much until the ending, which, you know, I guess is true. It's just about leaving things out the rest of the way. I'm, I'm pretty sure that is true. I mean, the broad strokes from what I remember of the novel, uh, you know, they were all hit here, mm -hmm. right? Two opposing camps. Uh, you know, good versus evil. We have a, uh, an avatar of good and an avatar of evil. Uh, there's a, you know, uh, a massive plague that kills off most of humanity. 
a bunch of people go to Vegas and then there's a nuclear explosion. Done and right? done. Done and done. That's what I remember from the novel. All right. It's pretty much it. <laughs> okay. Well, they, they hit the big uh, plot points there. That's for sure. So it's good with me. All right. Well, thank you so much, you guys, for writing in. And uh, if anyone has any further thoughts on The Stand, feel free to send those thoughts in. I, I would love to keep thinking about it a little bit. Uh, we're, of course, going to move off of covering The Stand starting next week um, for obvious reasons. But that doesn't mean you can't write in. I would still love to hear what you have to think about it. Now, speaking of next week, of course, we mentioned off the top, The Walking Dead is back already on AMC plus and coming up on Sunday, the, what is it? 28th on AMC. So we will be recording the following Tuesday. Is that March 1st, Jason or March something? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. It's March 2nd. March 2nd. All right. Uh, we will be recording our recap of home sweet home, which is season 10 episode 17. Uh, so once you see it, you're going to want to send in your holy crap moments and your thoughts about that so we can include them in the episode. Um, and uh, we'll just sort of get back to the regular plan at that point as we cover the final six episodes of season 10. That is going to happen next week. Um, so yeah, so it's good. I'm excited. We get back to The Walking Dead. I'm all a tingle. All righty. <laughs> if you want to get in touch to send in those comments, uh, of course, you should do that by sending email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top and uh, record a message, which will come right to us or Record it in the voice memo app on your phone and email that. That is another great way to do it. If you would like to send us a message or a comment on Facebook, you can visit our page there at facebook.com slash the talking dead. All right, that's going to do it for this week. We will see you next week when the uh, walking dead returns everyone until then. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>